and welcome to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name's Emma. My name's Josh. And this week Josh is going to lead the episode, so without further ado, introducing Josh! He did that twice. Woo! Woo! This is the second time we're recording this. Woo! And she did it the second time. It was more enthusiasm the second time. Yeah, I'm just happy to be here and see you and be next to you. We live together. I love love you. (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) So... I'm not going to give you the title or the topic of what we're covering today. I'm just going to jump straight into it. In some cultures, the phrase calling a spade a spade is often coined to describe somebody who is honest and says it as they see it. There is no exaggeration in their description and nor is there any understating, which is something that I think the human race do enjoy as on the whole we're an animal that likes certainty. Certainty provides us with a comfort, a security that we know all the facts and therefore we are best prepared to deal with any situation that may come our way. Well, what if we didn't know everything? What if that spade you're looking at can in fact be something else? Defying the logic and certainty that we hold so dear. What if not was all as it seems on first impressions? Well, today we are going to be exploring a topic that explores that notion. A topic that seeps doubt into your mind, allowing discomfort and anxiety to roam free. We are going to be looking at the shape-shifting phenomenon. Ooh! Thank you for your ongoing enthusiasm. I like a shape-shifter story. Oh good, well you're in for a treat. The origins of shape-shifting aren't the brainchild of some twisted horror story writer as you may expect, but in fact they are rooted much deeper into history. Even in the scriptures of Greek mythology, the god Zeus transforms multiple times into various animals, both great and small. Also noteworthy is the Norse god Loki, who was known to change his appearance from a human woman right through to a giant. I've just called Loki a girl then as well, and I didn't mean it, like I didn't know this, but maybe it's true. Maybe it is true. As far as cold hard evidence goes, it is believed that shapeshifting has been in the human consciousness since around 13,000 BC. This is concluded from cave drawings that were found in southern France, depicting a being with both human and animal-like features. The image itself illustrates the legs and arms of a human, yet that is where the familiarities end, as the creature also has a tail along with the head of a horse, goat, deer type animal that sports huge antlers. The exact date of this image is something that is debated by the science community, but it is certainly from a much simpler age, maybe one not influenced by religion, media and other ideologies. The most common form of shapeshifting to current knowledge appears to be that of humans transforming into animals. This is known as therianthropy, which I don't know if that's how it's said, that but that's where I'm going. <laughs> that's what I'm going for. And you'll notice that I don't mention that again in the whole podcast. <laughs> with most, the most popular, which is not a sentence, with the most popular variant being the werewolf, as depicted in many writings that up until this point, you may have believed, or at least hoped, were fictional. They're in Twilight though, aren't they? Or not werewolves, they turn into wolves anyway. Thanks for your valued input. (laughs) So to explore this topic further, I'm going to jump into a few different belief systems from around the world, which will hopefully shed some light on what shapeshifters are and maybe give you a stark idea of how relevant this is. 
So, I say belief systems. The stories. But, like, do, they, do different cultures have different names for them and stuff? You know, like skinwalkers? Like, are they shapeshifters in other cultures? or? Um, that's a theory. That's one theory. The skinwalkers may be shapeshifters, but then there's also different theories, isn't there? So, yeah. that's... Oh, yeah. They they do tie into this topic, but I think because of their debatedness, if that's a word, mm. they 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 as we already done an episode on them previously. They, oh, we need to. We should know what episode it is to be like. You can go listen to this on, but we don't know the episode number. Sorry, I think it's like episode eleven. But go listen to episode eleven anyway. Go listen to every episode up until this episode and tell us which one it is. <laughs> that's a trick. That's your homework for next week. And tell all your friends about every single episode too. Tell them to do the same. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so the first story we're going to look at is the Pucker. Oh. Which I think is how it's pronounced. It's P-U-C-A. Or Puka. Potentially. Originating from Ireland, the Pucker is an age-old tale that appears to affect the more rural parts of the country. This phenomenon is one that potentially paints shapeshifters in a positive light, showing that it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. The name itself translates into the word ghost, although this being isn't a ghost at all, but potentially gets its name as a result of its ability to alter its appearance and seemingly disappear into thin air. It is said that the original form of a pucker is somewhat of a cross between a dog, a rabbit and a goblin. Imagine the type of creature that you'd expect to find underneath a bridge and you're probably on the right tracks. (laughs) However, as a shapeshifter, this probably is not the image that you're going to encounter should you be unfortunate enough to be targeted by this being. I thought they were good. They are, but they're not. So you'll find out why now. (laughs) The aim of the pucker is debated to an extent, but it is generally accepted that the intention of this shapeshifter is more mischievous than malevolent. One branch of the Irish folklore tells a tale of unwanted helpfulness. These encounters often begin with those who have enjoyed the company of friends and often an intoxicating drink too many. They will be stumbling out of their social event, more often than not a pub, whereby they come across a horse that is meandering the street outside. The horse will approach the stumbling drunk and make friends by nudging the stranger with their head and enticing them to stroke the elongated nose of the horse. This, unfortunately for the drunk, is usually where the pleasantries end, as at this point the horse will often gesture that they are willing to let the person mount their back and do the walking for them, which of course is a welcome sight for the drunk as the walk back to their home is somewhat daunting, especially given their current state. However, once the drunk is on board the horse with no saddle, the beast bolts without warning, taking sharp turns at breakneck speeds, galloping as hard as nature will allow and vaulting over hedges and fences, terrifying the intoxicated rider. The journey will last for what feels like forever, distorting the rider's senses even more than the alcohol did and leaving them unaware of where they are. While it may sound as though the pucker is leading their prey into a vulnerable position here, it does seem that this shapeshifter is actually one of good intent. The story has it that once the pucker has had their fun and scared the drunk rider senseless, they will then return the quaking drunk to their home, usually around dawn, ensuring their safe return, 
even after putting their life on the line. An alternative view of the Pukka folklore is that concerning those who visit the countryside with troubles on their minds. It is claimed that if you visit one of the many rural towns and villages of Ireland and take a rest on a quiet bench to contemplate your worries, you may in fact be visited by a Pukka. Although it may not be what you'd initially expect after hearing the horse story. On this occasion, it is said that the Pukka will take the form of an elderly gentleman. He will be passing by and then notice the person resting their troubled self on the bench before approaching. The Pukka will then proceed to provide company for the person on the bench, often allowing them to vent their problems and offering a kind word of advice, but before turning the conversation into a comical tale of their own in a bid to cheer the visitor up. While this may sound like a kind citizen, doing their part to add a small ray of sunshine to the world, there is one very clear telltale sign that you can look out for to know for certain whether or not you've been visited by a pucker. It will all be in their eyes, as it is told that the pucker will have bright golden eyes, something that stays consistent no matter what shape they shift into. So if you do happen to be visiting rural Ireland anytime soon, keep a lookout. As you now know, Anything with golden eyes may not be all as it seems. Oh, but the old man is quite the old man Pucker is quite nice. I'm I'm partial like old man no Be very careful where this sentence goes. This is gonna sound really weird, but I've got like a soft spot for old men, so like if I see them like in the shop or anything, I'm always like, Oh, I wanna help them just because they remind me of my granddad. So I'd be so happy to see that pucker. The first one not so much because even without a drink I get travel sick. So if I'm like whizzing about on the back of a horse without a saddle, I'm being sick. You wouldn't get on a horse. Excuse me, I used to go horse riding in France all the time. She said I was a natural. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> So our next story is of the Volkalak. <gasps> I think I've heard of this, so it sounds like something of Twilight. It's 27 minutes in Twilight. I know, yeah, it's just fucking bore off with it. <laughs> our next tale takes us to Slavic Russia and to a creature that can occur in one of two ways. This creature is referred to as a Volkalak, which is told to describe someone or something that is dead but alive, resembling an ordinary man. According to the Eastern legend, if a man lives with his partner but doesn't marry her and then proceeds to get her pregnant and then passes away before the baby is born, that person will become a Volkalak. This creature can also occur when a person sells their soul to the devil, which is a very high price to pay. One final way of becoming a Volkalak is currently known and that would be the bastard child of the unmarried man I just mentioned. It is said that once the child has lived their life and passes away of whatever cause, 40 days later, their body will rise. Only this time, they will be suffering from the same fate as their father, with the curse of transforming into a brute-like fiend. This werewolf-looking beast will be bound to hunt the fields and forests in a bid to satisfy their vampiric desires, targeting anybody unfortunate enough to cross their path. One tale that I came across from the early part of the 20th century depicts a young Russian soldier in the mites of Belarus on a hunt of his own to rid the area of anti-Russian rebels. 
Very fitting for the times, isn't it? We're not going to comment on that. <laughs> Just did. It is told that the soldier and his battalion were stationed outside of a small rural village. They would take routine marches through the village to get to the various sections on the map, which were they were they were assigned to survey and eliminate any potential threats. A few days after the military force's arrival, the soldiers began to notice that while they were theoretically winning the war against the rebels, there were an increasing amount of soldiers returning to camp injured or worse. Their injuries were not consistent with that of regular fighting that you'd expect. The local rebels were working with the bare minimum here, so it may be plausible that some were using swords as they couldn't get their hands on a gun, but these wounds could not have been produced by a sword. The haunting thought kept creeping into the soldier's head. These wounds probably couldn't be produced by a human, come to think of it. As the forces time in Belarus wore on, they began to hear whispers that emanated from the village. Whispers that told of the residents invoking a force to protect them from the Russian soldiers. A force that the army was sure to not have encountered before. With a fresh sense of vengeance in the hearts of the soldiers, they embarked once more on their scavengers to locate any rebels in the locality of their base. Blindly following orders given by their nonsensical superiors, who did not pay any heed to the rumours flying around. Treading the boggy marshes that bordered the woodlands, the soldiers were met with a dense fog that served only to heighten their already on edge senses. Slow progress was made into the trees, as the dusk provided very little light and only the flames of the regiment's gas lanterns were providing a bleak amber glow that provided very little in the way of respite from the darkness. As the trees became denser, forcing the soldiers to part their paths in order to co cover the ground that was required, a change in atmosphere was felt by all present. The swaying of the trees slowed, lowering the noise levels as the leaves ceased their rattling. Collectively, the adrenaline of the soldiers began to surge, putting their senses onto overdrive. Each slight movement coming from the abyss was investigated with a raised rifle and teamwork of all available lanterns. But still, nothing was found. The march continued. With the spread out soldiers navigating their way through the muddy terrain, dodging trees as they went with no natural path to follow. A sense of security was beginning to wash back over the group. They had entered the woods and nothing had happened. Maybe the superiors back at camp were right to dismiss the rumours being spread by the local peasants. Maybe that was just their way of buying some time for the rebels to make their escape. That false sense of control and security did not last long, however. A thud was heard from the rear of the group. Visibility meant it was near on impossible for the rest of the soldiers to see what had happened as they swung around, failing to affix their weapons on the noise, just in case it was one of their comrades who had just fallen over. What this meant, however, was that the group were now immobile, standing still in the darkness of the woods, helpless. 30 seconds pass. A further foot is heard, this time to the most easterly point of the group of soldiers. Becoming spooked, the soldiers began to anxiously scan the tree line, expecting 
no hoping to see something that would logically explain away these noises. The fog provided no answer. An anguished scream was then heard from the back of the group. This time, whatever it was had not downed their prey in one, but merely wounded it. A batch of three soldiers ran to the injured man's aid, but in reality, it was a sprint to their own peril. The group of soldiers were now split up, and whatever this thing was thrived on the instability that was now surging its way through to the hardened warriors. Shots began to ring around the trees, aimlessly being fired at whatever this thing was, but obviously not quick enough to hit it. Cries of pain emitted from all around, deafening the soldier, but relying on the only sense that had been useless so far to him. That was when he saw it. A ravaging beast, propelling itself around the woodland on its hind legs, yet having the appearance of a large dog or wolf. The soldier noticed that its fangs were clearly on show, but the white that you'd usually expect from teeth was replaced with a royal red that spread all over this thing's elongated mouth and nose. He had only caught a glancing look at the attacker, but he knew deep down that his superiors were wrong. There wasn't any rumour, the villagers had unleashed a beast onto the soldiers. That's when it hit him, the silence. It had fallen back over the foggy woodland once again. All he could hear was his own panting breath. The soldier attempted to regroup himself, take back control of the situation and think of an escape plan. But there was no escape. This was the Volkalax woods, and although the villagers feared the wolf-like being as much as anybody else, today it had served a purpose to protect the Belarusians against the encroaching Russian army. I like I like that story. Um, obviously, it was brutal, but I like a vampire werewolfy story. Also, like that they protected the Belarusians from the Russians. We could do with that now. Yeah. So, if there's any Volkalax uh, knocking around, no. If you're a bastard. <laughs> if you're a bastard and you uh, have died forty days after, it's forty days after you've just died. <laughs> Hit the Belarusians up. Um, it's the Ukrainians that are under attack. So. I know, but it wasn't in the story, was it? So, we won't delve into it too much because we'll, we'll discuss yeah. those at the end, but they were very specific on how they were made, those particular yeah. ones. It was very, very set situations, or you could sell your soul to the devil. A lot of people probably do sell their soul to the devil, though. Or attempt to, anyway. Don't we all on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, the grind never stops, does it? <laughs> We've all got the same 24 hours, Emma. <laughs> okay, Beyonce. That's what you need to refer to me as from now on, please. Would you like to hear the last story? Because you, you've just got a total look of disgust on your face. Yeah, because I would be the Beyonce in this relationship. Okay. Yeah, go on. I would like another story, please. I'm not going to indulge you any further on that <laughs> comment. So, the last story I have is called The Avocado Grove. An avocado! Thanks. Okay. It was a van, I think. Oh, not a van, a TikTok. I'm old. <laughs> it was back in black and white days. <laughs> I'm younger than you. ITV used to show it on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I'll start the story now. Go on. You serious? 
The last tale that I have today is said to have taken place back in 1957 in a small rural town in Mexico. It was relayed by a father of two many years after the incident took place, maybe in a bid to detract any attention from it, maybe so he didn't have to explain himself, or maybe it was the gentleman's way of simply trying to forget that this occurrence ever took place. It begins on a dusty road that ran through a farm. The summer sun had just eased the heat levels down to something a bit more bearable, but as a result, left very little in the way of visibility in this picturesque bit of countryside. He knew the area well, having grown up there and lived in the same small house his whole life, so this trip through the farm when returning from his late shift was not a daunting task. Putting one foot in front of the other, the dimming sunlight was exchanged for a glowing moon that shone down on his path, illuminating the head-high trees that lined the dirt road. Despite being a local and having made the trip hundreds of times before, there is always something about walking alone in the dark that allows the mind to wander to places that it doesn't usually go. Exploring intrusive thoughts and ideas that make one feel a little bit more vulnerable when making their journey to the sanctuary of their final destination. Oh. On that night, those thoughts were running rapidly in his mind. Alas, a single bulb lamp lay up ahead, giving the man something to focus on, a distraction from the dark night that had consumed the farm. He continued his approach toward the light, his quickened pace bringing him within a few hundred metres. That's when he saw it. Edging into the light was what initially looked like some sort of animal, but nothing that he'd ever seen before. It stood upright on its hind legs, seemingly surveying the landscape from up high as it stood around seven or eight feet tall. Its fair body and snout gave it the appearance of a wolf or maybe a bear, neither of which were common in that area, maybe up in the mountains, but certainly not here. The steps the beast took sent vibrations through the ground, so much so that the man could feel them from so many metres away, giving the hints that this thing must weigh an incredible amount. It was about this time that the man began to feel a huge gratitude for the darkness that consumed the avocado grove that evening. The unidentified mammal was clearly scanning the area for something. Maybe it had smelt him, maybe it was lost. It didn't matter. All the man knew was that he did not want to be on the receiving end of a swipe from the thing's machete-like claws or come into contact with its daggers that served as its teeth. The man allowed himself to fall into the shadows, letting the dark night that was encroaching into his mind only moments previously to become his closest ally. He knelt down deep into the shrubbery that lined the path, doing the utmost to keep out of sight and hopefully mask his scent with the produce growing around him. That would be something he will be thankful for, for the rest of his life. Although he could no longer see the beast, he knew it hadn't left. He could feel the trembles on the ground as it moved around. There was a deep sniffing sound that audibly moved the leaves on the trees as it breathed in and then out again. It began to move. The ground trembled briefly with each step, getting louder and louder every time the monster creeped closer. He knew it was getting closer. Although not visible yet, the pounding of the animal's hind paws gave its location away. After moments, the inquisitive creature found him. Its glaring solid red eyes 
fixated on the man, ensuring in his mind that his fate was made up. At that moment, an echoing thud emanated from not too far away. It startled the creature, causing its blood-red eyes to dart from the man and fixate on the source of the sound, evidently running in the opposite direction in a bid to make its own escape. Once the thuds of the animals running away could no longer be heard, the man re-emerged from his makeshift den in the plantation and darted the rest of the way home, not looking back to see if he was being followed. The following morning, in the security of daylight, the police were informed of the sighting and asked to investigate. They did in fact find the paw print of an exceptionally large animal in the dirt, with the rhythmic layout as though it walked on only two legs. But when they followed the tracks, the prints led the investigation to something they could not explain. After around a mile or so of walking, the tracks began to come less defined, as though the thing was struggling to walk. That was until they could see visible signs of something being dragged across the dirt floor, until it stopped. What lay at the summit of these unexplainable tracks was very clearly a small crater. One that looks as though it had been carved out by an unfathomably heavy creature falling to the floor. Baffling the local police force, the reports were about to take somewhat of an unexpected turn when they gazed their eyeline upwards from the vacant crater to see more footprints. But these didn't match the footprints found earlier on. No, these were of human feet, regular sized, regular definition for human weight. There were no further reports of such a beast roaming the area following that night, and after a while the hysteria died down and the local community began to once again let their guards down, until eventually the whole thing became a bit of a regional folklore tale. But there is one certainty for the man who saw the fiend that night. That is, that whoever let that shotgun round off in the dark night, intentionally or not, saved his life. I think that's a skinwalker, but then I've never really heard. You don't really hear of them in Mexico, do you? Um, no, because they're quite closely related to Native Americans, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Which I guess there is there's part of obviously North America linking into South America, so yeah. there's a there is a border, so potentially you know might cross over, depending on where it was in Mexico. I don't know. I think that person who got the shotgun they they seen like they heard the like the rumbling of him the the shapeshifter walking so they saved that man like intentionally and i think he didn't talk about it i think he didn't talk about it with his family because he didn't want to you know where you can speak a thing into an existence yeah so i think that's why he didn't mention it until years had passed Maybe. Maybe. With this episode, I thought I would avoid going down our traditional theories route, as essentially I don't think there will be many theories out there on the matter. Instead, I thought I would ask you what you think on the matter, but give you a few points of direction, some food for thought, which may help you make up your mind or or fear the muddy the waters. So firstly... With there being so many historical mentions of shapeshifters in folklore that literally span the expanse of human history, do you think that this gives the phenomenon credit 
and must mean it's real. So I think I personally don't think the phenomenon is or phenomena is real. I think it's more made up and like um like I done classics at A level, so like I've done about the Norse gods and I think skinwalkers is just a tale that people pass down and yeah, I, I think even though there's a lot of a lot of um witnesses witnesses seeing it, I think it's more like it's just a big animal and because they, they're in the moment they're scared. It, it seems a lot bigger than it actually is to them. But what about the sort of very specific features? So with the pucker and with the animal or beast in the last story, their eyes were very distinct colours. Do you think that's got anything to do with it? Do you think that is proof that they're not a normal animal? Um, it could be contact lenses though. You can't put contact lenses in, so I don't think a fucking wolf can. I wear contact lenses all the time. You didn't today. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think it like again, like people are just scared to they see the they see what they want to see. They see their eyes different than someone else. Okay, but as we've touched on in the past, do you think that these folklores are generally warnings for humans to not behave in a certain way? So like in story number two with the Russian soldier, the moral was basically don't get a woman pregnant without marrying her or you'll become a hairy vampire. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that's why they tell like folklore stories of like skinwalkers and that. It's like don't go out at this time of night. Don't do this certain thing. So like like you said, I think it's so people didn't get people pregnant out of wedlock and then abandon them. That's just one example. Yeah, there are others. No, but I think that's why and then like what was the other one? The drunkness. I think don't get too drunk that you can't remember how to get home or whatever. I think that is partly just an excuse for really drunk people who didn't turn up until like six in the morning. Because they've just gone yeah. missing. Oh no, a, a, a strange horse with golden eyes came and got me and <laughs> took me away. Oh no. Um, I get what they mean because what if they did just fall asleep or something and they had like a weird dream? Because when, like, when I've had a lot to drink, I just want to sleep. So maybe they just sleep and just have a weird dream. <laughs> maybe, yeah. It could possibly be true, but why are they all dreaming the same thing? Whatever's in the beard in Ireland. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so I came across one train of thought that links shapeshifters to a person's connection with nature. And it got me thinking, do you think that people who believe that they are shapeshifters may be suffering from a sort of mental health condition? Like, they believe they can do something that, to the best of our scientific knowledge, is not possible. Although, to note, I didn't come across any cases that alluded to a self-proclaimed shapeshifter. It was mostly sightings. Yeah, I was just about to say, I've never heard from the perspective of a shapeshifter. It's always sightings of it. Mm. So I think, it, I think, maybe if you are, if you do think that you're a shapeshifter, like you get people... I'm not saying that the vampires in New Orleans aren't real, but I'm saying like you get people who believe that they need to drink blood to get up in the morning. So it could be a sense of like that, like you you think that you are a wolf to like get you through the day or it makes you feel stronger. Um, but yeah, you never really hear it from the perspective of a shapeshifter. So again, I think it's down to the fear of the witness that it's just like a large animal 
and um, scared in the dark. Like that he said in the sec- in the third story, the man had intrusive thoughts because he was in the dark, and we get scared of the dark and what we, we don't know what's going to appear. So I think you're just scaring yourself as it is, and then you see an object and you like make it a lot worse than it actually is. I don't think the real, unfortunately. Like you've mentioned, <laughs> you know, I'm trying my very best to convince you here. So, if somebody claimed to be a shapeshifter to you, you'd say they are wrong. Well, if they could prove to me that they were a shapeshifter and they could shapeshift right in front of my eyes, I wouldn't be able to say they were wrong then. But there's just no, there's no proof. There's like with ghosts, like you can pick up certain things about ghosts. You can't just like turn into a shapeshifter now. Turn into a wolf. You can't do that. With like with ghosts, it's like make a knock here, um, or on a Ouija board, spell your name out with a shapeshifter. Okay, I've turned into a wolf now. Go on, you can't do that. The moon's not right. The the moon's never right lately. Mercury's been in retrograde, and I've been so grumpy. Don't I know it? Finally, there's one train of thought I wanted to touch on that I thought would be a good place to finish. It sort of leans away from anything paranormal and folklore. Essentially, it's the idea that as humans, we can be shapeshifters in that we can change aspects about ourselves if we choose to. So we can eat different diets, we can exercise more or less, dress differently. We can shape who we want to be. And is that not final proof that shapeshifters do exist? Just maybe not as exaggerated or over the top as turning into a different animal completely? Well, that's quite deep and... I get what you mean because technically we all are shapeshifters because we all put different personalities on depending on who we're with as well. Like your work personality and your work clothes aren't necessarily yourself, your personality on a Friday night at the pub with your mates. Yeah, true. Or That's true. dinner with your family. Like I went, I went from being 18 to like 25 and I didn't show any of my tattoos to my family. So that, that was like me being a shapeshifter. I had to wear long sleeves, long trousers, <laughs> in the sweltering heat. <laughs> they took goth life to the new extreme. <laughs> I think they thought, oh God, she's really, really gothy. <laughs> but you still are. I know, but I, d- I don't hide my tattoos now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think everyone is a form of shapeshifter. But it's not like in a mythological turn into a wolf now. It's more of like you adapt and overcome and change depending on your environment, what you've been through, the music you listen to. Some people and some people get into films and then they start dressing like a character in the film. So yeah. So the moral of this episode is you can change aspects about yourself and shapeshift in that sense. But Emma doesn't truly believe in the other paranormally folklore side of it. It's like the Hannah Montana look. You can change your hair, you can change your clothes, you can change your mind, that's just the way it goes. But you'll always find your way back home. <laughs> and that was written by Taylor Swift. <laughs> what the fuck is my life? <laughs> Jeez. I haven't even had a drink, I'm drinking my beer <laughs> I don't think we can better this, so I think this is a good place to end the episode. So shapeshifters aren't real.
but they also are. So there you go. <laughs> Happy ending. Very con- very concise and to the point. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you've got any experiences or have any thoughts on the matter, you can reach us by email at acrossthecemetery at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. So it's at Cemetery for Twitter and TikTok. And it's at Across the Cemetery for Instagram. And you can leave us a review on any platform that you listen to us on. It would be very beneficial and we would love to know what you think. And also, like Josh has just said, if you email about your shapeshifting experiences, that would be great because I would love to be proven wrong because I do like a good shapeshifting folklore skinwalker story. Okay, thank you for listening. Thanks, bye. bye.
It begins on a dusty farm road that ran through a farm, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a Bill Castle or something. 